is Going Off Track here in the Going Off Track studios, meaning a room at a studio that we record in. We don't own the place, but someday there will be a Going Off Track. Uh, we're all going to be moguls. We can say where we are. It's, oh, we can? Yeah, man. All right They're on. proud of us. Okay, let's do it. I didn't know if it was possible. Sure. Converse Pro- Rubber Track Studio <laughs> okay. has been so generous to let us. All right. Yes, yeah, very generous. Converse Rubber Tracks. Uh, if you haven't been out here, it is one of the cooler recording studios I've ever been to. And I've been to a few. Not super many, but a couple. Uh, it's in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. We record in Brooklyn because we are so hip that we couldn't record in Manhattan. Also due to rising studio costs. <laughs> uh, and this place is free and Brad runs it. So, uh, I'm Stephen Smith. In front of me is Brad Worrell. You don't care because you're not in the room with us. He is our producer. He makes everything happen. And he can also design t-shirts. <laughs> he also can design websites. Brad can do a lot of stuff I can't. Actually, you can do most things I can. You also play guitar, too. Actually, Mike, you play guitar. Yeah. And banjo. Yeah. Mike well, and Jimmy. definitely not well yet. I still am. Dude, it's hard. I'm with you. Hammer. I know. Uh, Mike is a television producer. He is working on a documentary. We worked together for a long time. Jonah Bear is a music journalist. You can read his work all over the interweb and in print. The Dying Form print. Well, it lasts. Jonah also plays banjo. <laughs> I do. Brad, you play banjo I as well? I play guitar. I, I can't <laughs> if you, if you, if you yeah, play, I can strum Wait a minute. It. Hold on. If you say banjo, you can say you can assume guitar, right? No. Well, they're different. No, they're, can't you? No, different. not really. Do you guys both have banjos? Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's awesome. I love, I should, I love banjo. You need to get a banjo. But banjos are how many strings? Four. Well, five. Five with the... Four and a half. Four and a half, four and yeah. half right? Yeah. yeah. And a banjo is basically a snare drum with strings on it. Yes. Yep. Okay. Also, Jonah got me doing the... Claw hammer, claw hammer style rather than the bluegrass style. So you can buy a bluegrass banjo, but the banjo that I bought was a, it's like a claw hammer banjo. Yeah. The you, have the, you have the good time, right? Yeah. yeah, that's what I have. Yeah. I don't know what banjo just means. Yeah. <laughs> banjo just, talk. Here we just, are on the podcast. Every hit podcast starts <laughs> Banjo. Guys and talking today, about what kind of banjo. And now have. banjo talk. Actually, Mike in, and in Williamsburg, probably that's probably as hip. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. The ukulele's out, the banjo's No, the totally. Banjo's back, yeah. Yeah, oh God, ukulele. Ukulele is a very hard instrument to play. Do you know what ukulele means? No. Fleas in Hawaiian. Really? It does. Because when does it mean fleas in Hawaiian, or does it mean fleas in Hawaiian? <laughs> okay, now I feel high. <laughs> no, apparently when uh, we took over Hawaii, meaning us, white America, went to Hawaii and went, we want this place too. Uh, we had small guitars. And with the four strings, the ukulele, and uh, the Hawaiians thought that their fingers picking the guitar looked like little fleas. So they went, ukulele, looks like fleas. Interesting. You know who yeah. also picks uh, strings is Hunter from AFI. Wow, Hunter Bergen, uh Hunter Bergen. On the podcast this week. Wait a minute, does he play? He's the bass player for, for uh, AFI. Does he, does he play with his fingers or he's a pick? We don't get into it in the interview. We don't really get into it. I don't really know i'm assuming he plays with the pick for some reason i think so too it's pretty punked yeah the pick. we talk about all the bands he was in before afi how he got there he's also a multi-instrumentalist he can do all kinds yes. of fun stuff uh he's an interesting interesting dude he won a webby he won a webby and a tweety i think yeah he's, did he not win a webby did i get that confused with the he, he, got, he got like a twitter award a twitter award he tells i don't know what it. those are called you'll find out if you listen you'll find out check it out uh hunter bergen <laughs> already turned this off from afi if you want news about AFI, just keep listening. If you're still listening. It's going on track! Uh, welcome 
thank you. you. Th- thank you for being here and, and on this. Thank you for having me. No, we're psyched. It's very cool. Um, you are in town from whereabouts? From Los Angeles. Right, and you live in L.A.? Yeah. Now, at your home in L.A., do you still have the giant sheet from the Miss Murder video that hung out? <laughs> That's No, I don't. It's somewhere. It's um, funny you should mention that. I was just talking about that the other day. Um, w- before, like, you know, while we were shooting the video, we have these, um, just to clarify, there's giant banners of just our faces. Mm-hmm. Um, and we shot at City Hall in Los Angeles. And so it's, you know, it's... It's earlier in the evening, and they're um, they're testing the drops, like you know, to see if it'll work on camera. Like you know, all four banners need to drop simultaneously so the four heads appear. And on the first trial run, they all misfired except for mine. <laughs> so, and I'm standing across the street just talking to somebody, and suddenly there's like this, poof, and just a banner of me drops down, like just my head over City Hall. <laughs> <laughs> I got to take a picture of that. So I hope to God someone took a photo. I have a photo, but I had a flip phone at the time with you know with a high quality camera. So <laughs> with it, with one pix, not even a pixel. Yeah, exactly. Couldn't even afford the whole word. I think I think it might have been the last time uh, we spoke was around that that era, and I asked what you guys were doing with those again because all I am is a big recycling machine, uh, and I think it was either uh, Jade or Adam who went. Yeah, I think I'm just going to cover my car with it. Yeah, I was going to hang off the side of my house, you know, just to let everybody in my neighborhood know, like... And yeah. where about, whereabouts in L.A. are you? Uh, I live in Los Feliz. I know it very well. I lived there for seven years. So, all all stalkers, that's where to find me. Fair yeah, what's the exact address? <laughs> yeah. Did I say Los Feliz? I meant Santa Monica. That's what I said. Santa Monica. Well, that's where all the stalkers live, is Santa Monica. Yeah, nobody <laughs> wants to do that commute, so I'm fine. <laughs> I love Las Feliz, and when I when I left in two thousand ten years ago, um, rent was super super cheap. I was like <laughs> seven hundred bucks for a one bedroom on St. George. Oh man! And and apparently when I left, someone called me up who lived in the building and went, "They're renting your place out for twelve hundred dollars." And I said, "Did they get rid of the couch I abandoned in there when I left?" <laughs> <laughs> you know the the typical Los Angeles move. Yeah. Um, so with, now how did you get, you weren't originally an AFI. We've never talked about this. At least I've never talked about it. You joined, right? Yeah. Every time I see Hunter, I'm like, dude, my cousin's from Ukiah. And he's always like, I'm not from Ukiah. Yeah. yeah, I've been to Japan more times than I've been to Ukiah. Um, okay. So the, the short version of the story is they, um, I, I was in a band that was friends with, with them. And our singer was actually their first merch guy. Ah. And so we'd play a lot of shows together, and he would go on tour with them, and we'd just wait for him to come back so we could play our shows. And and, uh, on one of the tours, I got a call from him saying, hey, here's the thing. Jeff, the old bass player, is is quitting, and they, um, they need somebody to fill in for a tour, and we thought maybe that you would be appropriate. And I was like... Uh, okay, yeah, I guess I'll do that. <laughs> I, I had to quit um, junior college mid-semester. Uh, it heartbreaking. It was it was actually the first semester where I actually was really decided to buckle down and apply myself. I You know, it was like my third year or something. <laughs> I was like, you know what? Maybe I should actually do something here. Did you have like a major there? I, 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 that was where I was like, okay, I'm actually going to start thinking about the academic courses. <laughs> like up to that point, I'd taken like poetry and like all, you know, um, 
like intro to gouache, um, which is I don't know if you're aware of gouache. It's no. like um, <laughs> it's a it's a type of paint. It's a you know a medium of painting. It's it's like watercolors, but you you add some like a, a thickener to it. Yes, I was the only, not only the only male in the class, <laughs> but I was the only person under fifty. At first, I was like, right on, only dude, that's great. And yeah. it's like, eh. Yeah. Well, maybe right on. There's a bunch of older women painting like these landscapes, you know, and I was in there like, oh, I don't know. But yeah, so, uh, so but, okay, so the, yeah, so I had to quit mid semester and, uh, and joined temporarily. I was a fill in bass player and we did a tour with, um, with L7 and the Offspring. And after that, it was like um, they would. They kept asking me, like, "Hey, we're going to be doing this one-off, and you know, in L.A., are you available?" I'm like, "Yes." <laughs> hey, we're going to be writing and recording an album. Are you available? Yes. And they kept, you know, kept doing that until uh, eventually they they asked, like, "Hey, would, would you consider being a permanent member?" And is that was, something you always wanted, and you were just playing it cool, or are you just kind of? Well, sure. I mean, I, you know, I've I've always been. You know, my whole as soon as I figured out how, how that I could get some of my friends together and form a band, I was like, "This is what I'm going to do." And then in in high school, I was like, "I could, I could be in this this band as the bass player, but then I can also be in this band as the drummer. I can be in five bands at once. This is the greatest thing. I'll I'll have like shows every weekend." Um. So yeah, I mean, it was always my goal to to try to you know be in as many bands and as as successful bands as possible. And um, you know, I was a fan before I was in the band, so it was like. Do I want to be in this band that I love? Yeah. <laughs> you made yourself every need a musician flyer because it's always need a bass player, need a drummer, need a bass player, need a drummer. Need yeah. a, always. So that slick. Yeah. Well, that was my that was my my trick early on was like uh, I'd be hanging out with some, you know, some cool musician types and they'd be like, "Yeah, we So we we started this band, but uh we don't have a drummer. Do you know anybody?" And I'd be like thinking to myself, can I fake the drums? Like, <laughs> I bet I could probably like within a you know a couple practices I could probably learn and like they don't need to know that. Yeah, hey, I I play drums. Like I'll I'll be in your band. So I've done that you know on almost every instrument and it's worked. Right on. <laughs> There's your book, man. I'll be in your band. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. I play it all. Free copy. You know, you know, I guess you really can't do that with keyboards. Have you done that? I've I played in my Boy Scout band i played keyboards a little bit we played at the state fair and we played like uh on a float for a a couple parades i played keyboards for that so does that count how far did you get as a boy scout uh life scout ah yeah see my brother was an eagle scout so i know the full i was close real close you just didn't want to do the project it was i didn't want to do the project (laughs) for one that's the easy one it was just a it was a weird it was a weird time in my life i was you know starting to get into uh you know countercultural stuff and boy scouts is anything but that yeah. so i was like i was like i don't know if I, I you know i can't stand for some of these things that the boy scouts stand for you know i don't i'm not aligned with all their their the beliefs and i you know for starters the kerchief seriously i've got to go my own way what's the project when you become an eagle scout you have to do a giant project of something for the community and so if you're like literally driving on 81 or 66 in Virginia, you'll pass a park and over this like ridge in the park, there's just a row of trees that my brother planted. And like, but the thing is <clears throat> when you do the project, you draft the rest of your 
troop with you. So everyone else has to yeah. come and do it with you. So you're just like, oh, God. So everyone has to help each other It's a out. huge thing. You have to yeah. organize that. Yeah, you know, I was, I had done some pre-thinking on what my project would be. <laughs> and I was going to, like, rebuild this little bridge over, like, a creek. That's It had a bridge, and the bridge was kind of worn down. It was just ended up being just a piece of wood. And so I was like, you know what? I'm going to... This is what I'm going to rebuild this bridge. and But you have to, like, figure out how to build it. You have to, like, you know, hi, hi, figure out how to raise money to hire somebody to design a bridge. It's just, like, the weirdest thing. And you're a kid. Like, you don't know how to do any of that stuff. And you didn't have the impetus to go, yeah, I know somebody who can build a bridge. I can learn to build a bridge in a couple of weeks. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> See, had I been a little bit older or just cared a little more, I probably would have done that, you know. Did you ever do the rock and roll thing of repurpose your Boy Scout uniform for a show? I don't think I did, but I did take some of my merit badges and sew them onto a jacket, I believe. The ones that I thought were like the punkest ones. <laughs> what, what are the punkest merit badges? Yeah, yeah I'm trying mind. to think now. Um, there's, I had quite a few, so, yeah. um, but I'm trying to think of what I actually used. Maybe like the first aid one or something. Maybe like, like the American flag upside down or yeah, something. Yeah, something. Um, well, there's the slamming badge, you know. Before moshing, there's the slamming bag. Oh, yeah? That was a big deal. It's how to pick someone yeah. up, take care of them, but then keep them going in a circle. And learn Morse code. Yeah. Uh, that's, pretty, <laughs> that's pretty good. What's the badge look like? Is it like skanking dude? Yeah, what's well, the DRI guy? Yeah. <laughs> that's what the badge is. Looks really awesome. Uh, that's where they got it from. <laughs> right on. Now, I didn't know uh, that you were a drummer as well, and you do play in other yeah. bands. Yeah. I've played, um, I mean, I I literally did start playing drums by telling some of my friends that I, I'll be in your band. And so I, I, I was the drummer for Inner Frog in my hometown. Fair enough. <laughs> um, we ran for a couple of years, and then I was drafted into a band called Batical Turbo Radness oh, as the drummer. Kind of I support that one. They needed a drummer to, um, they had a rival band at the time who had a really great drummer who was... Um, a young guy who was only in eighth grade at the time. And so they're like, how are we going to show these guys up? Like, there's a battle of bands. We need a drummer. <laughs> and so it drafted me. And then, um, yeah, and I uh, actually was um, in a band called The Frisk, <clears throat> punk band, um, in the Bay Area for five, six years. Is that where you're from originally, Bay Area? Uh, I'm from Northern California, like Northern, Northern California, North, yeah. north of Northern California. <laughs> I grew up in Grass Valley. Okay. So where all the pot's grown? That's where Chuck there's, lives. There's, yeah, there's a lot of pot around there. Yeah. Um, and Chuck Reagan <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> relocated there. Strangest thing ever. Have you hung out with him up there? I've been meaning to go I, up there. I, I wanted to go visit him. So I, didn't, so bad. I didn't know that he lived there. And I was just up there visiting and just um, drinking coffee at a coffee shop that didn't even exist when I lived there. And so I'm a little bit out of my element. And I'm drinking this coffee, and I look up, and I see this guy that looks like Chuck Reagan. But my thought isn't like, oh, there's Chuck. It's like, oh, there's a guy that lives in my hometown that looks like Chuck. (laughs) And I'm just marveling at that. And then he, like, moved a little bit, and I saw his tattoo, and I'm like, whoa, that is Chuck. (laughs) Blowing my mind. I went over and talked to him, and he's like, yeah, just stopping to get a a quesadilla before, like, going up to Tahoe or something. Like what? Yeah, so... He's going to tell how to catch fish with his hands and mouth. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, you know, yeah, if you think about it, it's, it's like the perfect place for him. You know, if you think about, like, what fundamentally, what what is, what defines Chuck Reagan? And then that's totally aligned with, with the Grass Valley thing, so... 
It's now, perfect. Is, is that where the band started, or did you move somewhere else? Because that sounds like a huge music scene for that area. Um, there's there's a huge amount of musicians that have either come from there or live there, um, and but uh, you know, AFI being from Ukiah, which is like um, a very comparable small town community um, in Northern California, but like not derivable from Grass Valley, really. There's one highway that you could drive straight from one to the other, but it's the windiest lake highway, and it just would take forever. And so nobody, nobody ever did that. Right, but you, did you know the home, you knew the town? So. so, I I was aware of it because my my dad's bass player in his band was either from there or moved there or something. So I heard the name Ukiah. I was aware of it, but it was just like. Might as well have been anywhere. Did you grow up in a big musical household? Um, my dad, my dad had a band um, that would practice like every week when I was a kid, and and uh, there, you know, he plays a little bit of everything too. And so there's, you know, instruments around and music around, always music playing. And that's what I was wondering when you said you don't just say, "Yeah, I can figure drums out," because then that involves gear. Yeah. Well, there were never drums around, but oh. but um, in <clears throat> in junior high, I had this idea. I was like okay, I'm gonna start a band. How am I, how do you start a band when you're you know like in seventh grade? I didn't even have a guitar, <laughs> but I, I was like I'm gonna play guitar in this band. And so I convinced my friends, hey, we're gonna start a band. You guys gotta all pick instruments and and buy them. <laughs> and so um, my friend David was gonna be the drummer, and he was into it. He wanted to play drums. Um, he bought a drum kit, and then it ended up at my house for a bit, and then he was just. It's disinterested after a while, and so there were drums at my house for a long time, and so which was great because then anybody could sit down and sort of like play something, figure it out. So that was the trick. Right on. And then, so in the Hunter's Revenge stuff, do you play all the instruments? On that stuff, that was okay. Um, when I started that project, it was really. I wasn't even trying to be. It wasn't meant to be a band. It was meant to be just like a recording. Um, exercise really it was like hey can I write songs in the style of that sort of like early 80s Prince R&B thing and um, and so I did play everything on the recordings most of the stuff was recorded on just an old like reel to reel four track and then as it sort of progressed a couple years later like I was just sort of done and wrote it off like here's a a CD of things that I've worked on Um, this guy Sean um, in Los Angeles was like, hey, I really want you to play a show. Like, you know, we're putting together this small little warehouse thing. Like, I will fly you down to play a show. You have to play a show. And I was like, whoa, I, I, I don't have a band. I can't play this all on my own. I, I was like, what do I do? So I thought, well, okay, I'll just bring a drum machine and a guitar. And I'll just sort of sing and play and whatever. And so, okay, I'll do it. So I did. I flew down and set this up, and it was just like kind of a punk warehouse show. And I was the only like I'm just singing and playing. It was it was really awkward. A bunch of my friends showed up, which was great. Um, but uh, yeah, and so after that, I decided to put together a, a little band and played a bunch of shows doing that, and, you know, with keyboards and, and everything. Um, interestingly enough, Sean ended up starting um, Fyf Fest. In L.A., which is oh, yeah. now a huge thing. So, 
like good for him. <laughs> yeah, you started that off. Now, have you uh, were you always a Prince fan growing up? Was that like your musical wheelhouse, or? Yeah, I mean, one of many things I really liked. Um, I mean, like like I said, uh, musical household. Um, there was a my parents have a jukebox that from like the youngest age of me being able to press the buttons on it, I would I had preferences and wanted to play stuff, and it was this had you know old like. R&B and soul stuff, Beatles, Stones, and then it, like, you know, throughout the 70s and even er- into the early 80s, it, you know, there'd be like um, Prince and Blondie. And, they, they rotated the records out. Yeah. So I would just stare at that forever. That would change my life. My parents had a jukebox. It's pretty, it's pretty intense. My parents I mean, had the worst musical influence ever. It was Neil Diamond, <laughs> Olivia Newton-John, Juice Newton, which now ruins my day because now I have Queen of Hearts I, I in my head. Neil. What? Neil Diamond, I love Neil. I love Neil Diamond. At the time, I didn't. Know. <laughs> right. Stupid, whatever. And then Sean and I, who I thought were the shit. But that was it. That was like <laughs> the, five, the five records. Like, that was, that was yeah. it. Jukebox, that's, yeah. that's wonderful. It was the key. And it had the greatest sound, too. It was like, a, you know, it's built in like tube amp and a, maybe like a 15 or 18-inch speaker. And that was it. So it was really bassy and really... Um, had a lot of compression on it, but just sounded great. Was so, it? How do you, do you know what era it was from? Like the fifties, sixties? Was it? How was it? Old? Was it was. It, it's pretty old. I would say. I would say sixties. Yeah. There's an almost identical one in this little cafe in Vancouver. Yeah, they they're they those they sound pretty cool. I actually had a Wurlitzer one that was probably from. Like this the was a Wurlitzer, 60s. I believe. Did it have like the silver bars down the front of it? Like, it's kind of um, look like foot pedals, like an organ. It was um, okay. Let me think of how to describe it. It, it had a big curved glass. It was front. tall, had a big curved glass front thing, um, and then below that, a sort of lit grill area that was like silver, where the speaker was behind. Right. And um, but yeah, I mean, at, you know, and, and could it, you see the the thing move across the front underneath the glass? You see, all the records are on like a sort of circular thing. Oh, somewhere. okay, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And it's it had a big two hundred on it because it would hold like two hundred songs basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would have sat in front of that thing for days. I'm sure you did. They do yeah, sound I'm- amazing though. They we I the one that I had yeah it was a tube amp, and we figured out a way to plug our guitars into it and we fucking use it as an amp. And it was <laughs> it was loud as all hell. I never got that far. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> do your parents still have it? <clears throat> they do, but it doesn't work. So oh, really? it just sits in the garage. Like, dude, you should get that yeah. thing and restore it. I know. Oh. <laughs> thought about it thought about it just like you know shipping it to LA dude that could be your Boy Scout project <laughs> yeah the jukebox you could get your wings or yeah <laughs> get your wings I'm gonna call all the old scouts like hey guys I know it's been like 20, 30 years or whatever but I got a project let's do this <laughs> I was also so curious about sort of how the, the all the Twitter stuff kind of came about with you because I felt like it was like hunters on Twitter, so were a lot of people, but all of a sudden, like, you had so many followers and were winning awards and had all this. I mean, how did that kind of come about? Did you, like, set out to do that or did it just kind of happen? It's, um, I was told about, uh, I was, I have to, I have to give props. I was, um, Sarah Saturday was telling me about Twitter. Okay. And I was like, Psh, whatever, it's, that's so lame. What? <laughs> Why would you want to, like, tell people things? Right. You know, I don't want to tell people what I'm doing. <laughs> Okay, maybe I guess I'll check it out. Maybe I'll sign up. And then I thought, okay, this is if if you're a band, how cool to be able to tell your fans, hey, uh, doors are now at seven instead of six. 
you know, mm-hmm. right. or just something like that. I thought that was kind of brilliant. And so I was like, okay, I'm, I'm in. I'll try it. And I tried it out for a while. And then uh, the, the Shorty Awards came around. I was like, Shorty Awards? What's, what's this? It's like, uh, I don't know. Like you for can, girls, right? Yeah, it's for <laughs> girls. No, it's for kids. Oh, sorry. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, sure. Like not that many people were on, were on Twitter at the time. And so I thought, well, I'll just do a little campaign to, you know, win an award. For this, and and you could sort of nominate yourself for different categories, and I thought, well, I'm going to nominate myself for what was it? I was I was leading in maybe awesome or something, <laughs> which turned out to not be an official category. <laughs> so at the last minute, I looked at I looked at what categories there actually were, and I realized there's no competition in the music category. Like nobody's really doing that yeah. well. I bet I could probably take this. And so, yeah, it's really easy to take it because nobody, relatively speaking, was on Twitter at the time. And so I won the music category and, and uh, they flew me to New York and, you know, I'm on stage with MC Hammer. Like, he's gave me the award for music. And I was like, that's pretty cool. Out of everybody in the entire world of music... I'm the winner of Twitter. I won. <laughs> and then like a week later is when Twitter like blew up. You know, like Britney Spears signed up and it was just from that point on it was just like it was over. Did you have to give like an acceptance speech or anything? Yes, it was like a 140 character acceptance <laughs> speech. I don't remember what I said, but they start playing you off at 100 characters. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, but that was that was a uh, that was cool, you know. That was that was a fun time. Um uh, I have a question, uh, and I'll pause because I, you, I want to see what your answer is going to be, Hunter. Okay. And maybe you've been asked this a bunch of times and you're just sick of it, but I have to know because I watched. So when AFI plays Saturday Night Live, okay. from watching it at home, it seemed like there was a big audio issue. Huge audio issue. Huge audio issue. And all I kept watching was going, oh, no. Like, because it seemed from my standpoint that you guys didn't notice the audio issue or maybe it was in-ears or something, but... I'll tell you exactly what happened. Please. Um, what happened was their their mixing board, the audio board, is like on a different floor there or whatever. And although I don't know if that matters. Um, and is it is a digital console and like froze or crashed during the live our live performance um and so the only audio that was coming through for like a good majority of the song this is only one of the two songs we Mm -hmm. played was just um some of like some of the samples and some of the stuff that's like not our live performance like i mean it's live in that we're like triggering it but it's not live in that we're like it's not our guitars right and so they had to reset the board and basically like it was a wash but they f- fixed it because it was all it all came through so it was like it was just the the I don't know how this works technically but the 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 console that they used to mix um for the actual television broadcast so the audio was fine on on everyone's end up to that point. So we didn't know anything was wrong. Everything was fine for mm-hmm. us in the studio. Everything was fine. Um, and so 
only after we got off stage that someone's like, so there was a problem with the audio and it didn't for the whole like East Coast feed. It's it's not good. Um, but it was but they fix it by the by the West Coast. Right. And then for all, you know, future versions, it was fine. So oh, I was like, oh, man, they've got to be bummed and dismayed. And I'm glad they fixed it. Yeah. I can't believe they have a digital console for live broadcasts. It yeah. Seems, seems weird, right? We've talked about that. That happened the, when when Motion City played uh, Conan. Conan, yeah, the board crash, and they had to like do the song again because it's not live, so yeah. they could do it again. But it like we've we've talked about that here and and just with ourselves about when a band. Most of these shows that you play live on has a band, and that band sounds good. Yeah. So why doesn't the guest band sound good as well? Like why can't they make that happen? It's okay. Well, let's see. Let's talk about this. <laughs> um, one of the issues is that bands that sound good when you go to see them play live usually have like a front of house guy yeah. that makes them sound good. Those front of house guys aren't allowed to mix the bands when they do TV shows because of union mm-hmm. issues. So, and for for whatever reason, the people and it's you know a little bit of it is that like uh, your the sound mixer for the show doesn't know how the band's supposed to sound. Um. But also, sometimes they're more concerned with how things sound for TV and not how they sound for for a, a band. So it's just a different mentality. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know that in some cases, um, sometimes the front of house guy will be able to stand near the board and sort of point in the general direction of what sort of moves they would want to make. so off the chain. Yeah, I didn't know that. That's insane. But they won't actually... Be able to touch. They can't touch anything. It's cool they let you guys play your instruments and don't make union guys go up there and yeah. play the song. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> why, why don't the union guys play the fucking? Yeah, instrument? it's so the union yeah. stuff is very, very weird, and I've I've been on I've dealt with both sides of it. But yeah. that's bizarre that they just uh, hit that. Oh, that's got to be frustrating. I mean, that's like there's got to. Uh, I'm so unions just piss me off. I've been <laughs> on the wrong side of the unions too many times. Yeah, I'd, so do oh, you? Yeah. It's just. I mean, that's artistic integrity. That's the kind of thing, like, you could, you know, I mean, you could, yeah. If you can't have your guy mix you, like, that's your, that's you. That's your, that's like your representation of the band. Of the band. It yeah. is a part of the band, yeah. yeah. So it seems like, that seems like there should be a way around their stupid fucking lame rules. And then there are, you know, some of those shows that actually let the band play a legitimate show, which is always a little bit better. Because yes. you're actually... It's not some weird studio where you're not anywhere near an audience and you're right. sort of, I don't know, yeah. So, I always wonder how that feels when, um, you know, you guys have played festivals, obviously. Yeah. I've seen you at a, at a, at a bunch. Um, when you play at a festival and there's cameras there, or even if there's not cameras there, there's that giant gap from the stage <laughs> to the fence. And in between that gap is just a land of security <laughs> and random photographers and the fan, and the fans are back there, and it just seems so hard to establish any kind of intimacy at all. It's some of them are the worst. I mean, there are, we've played some festivals where it's like the distance between the stage and the audience is like bigger than some of the clubs some we've clubs, played in. Right? Yeah, um, <laughs> and it is it is really hard. It, some of them it's hard to feel like you're connecting with anybody, and it's. Those shows where you're you're lucky that you have done this enough and you know what you're doing and you're you're basically playing for yourself, you're playing for 
your crew, your friends that are on the side of the stage, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's still basically the same show, but it's it's you definitely do it's it's um it's hard to play a show when you feel like you're not playing for somebody, you know, because it's that's what helps really, you know, drive your performance. Do you feel that if you're going to play a festival like, OK, the night before we have to go play a secret show in someone's basement just so we have that feeling? <laughs> uh, no, but I mean, that's <laughs> I mean, like you, you, when bands play the the uh, the Australian festivals, mm-hmm. they, you know, always do their little like show side shows. And it, that is kind of one of the key things. Like when we did uh, Soundwave mm-hmm. a couple of years ago, you know, we're one day we're playing this huge midday thing and then the next day we're playing like a small little club and it's it is nice it's nice balance okay but uh yeah some of those festivals are just really really bizarre like i think we we did um we did the live earth thing in 07 yeah yeah and it was you know exactly one of those things where it's like you know we're on stage but the audience is pretty far away and it's just middle of the day totally weird environment but then uh kevin bacon was on the side of the stage <laughs> right like i don't know <laughs> and you're like this is our degree so i was like i was like this is it this is um this set is for kevin <laughs> i'm gonna give it 110 percent for kevin was that i think i was at was that the thing the police played yeah and yeah i got like dragged someone was there one of the publicists and he was a little intoxicated and was trying to like drag me down to like see Taking Back Sunday. I was like, I'm good in this loge or whatever. And he was dragging me past security. And security was like, he had credentials and I didn't. And Al Gore was like on stage. And I was like, someone's going to shoot me. Like, you're dragging <laughs> me past security. Like, Al Gore's talking. There's probably Secret Service guys everywhere. Yeah. Live Earth, dead Jonah. Yeah, it was a. Uh, yeah, I didn't actually stay for the police because it, it started so early and I felt like I was there for like 12 hours already. Yeah, it was really long. Yes. The craziest thing to me was, you know, I mean, there's dozens of huge bands playing this thing. And the stadium is full. Where, what, what's, where was the it's show? It's a giant stadium Yeah, giant stadium. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, he, like I was, I went out into the, to the, like up into the back of the stadium to watch Smashing Pumpkins. A huge rock band, Smashing Pumpkins, right? And the crowd right. is going crazy. And then after they played, Bon Jovi comes out to play. And the, like, I thought the Smashing Pumpkins response was great from the crowd, but I've never heard a response from a crowd as loud as the Bon Jovi response. And this is like, I mean, it's New Jersey, so, but this is like, it was insane. Thousands and thousands and thousands of people singing along to, like, the most obscure song they could play. <laughs> like, l- the loudest thing I've ever heard in my life. It was insane. Um. Now, can we ask what's going on with AFI right now? Are you recording, or is it is it under wraps? Because you, you can say it's under wraps. It's, it's cool. Under wraps. Okay. Top secret. Fair enough. Can I can I talk about? Didn't can we talk about the website getting hacked? Did the website get hacked? Somebody somebody really somebody <laughs> said that a couple of uh, months ago on Twitter, and I fell for it too. They're like, "Oh my god, AFI broke up," and there was a statement. Oh, it was a hoax. It was yeah. a hoax. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I woke up to you know bunch of texts and emails like what like sad from my friends like sad messages you know like say it ain't so like really and i'm like what what are, what are you talking about <laughs> so i so i you know i uh i googled it and by the time i was awake it was already like squashed mm-hmm. and you know but uh yeah apparently somebody 
decided to to create a uh, AFI broke up hoax. I'm trying to remember what the details were. It was like a it was supposed to be a letter, like a letter from Davey. But it was not written in the way that Dave would write. It was just it was a little something was a little suspicious about it, but yeah. That was like the detracts you guys wrote. That it was like we would not this does not sound like yeah. us. How could you fall for <laughs> you this? You know what's so weird? It's like I can't get motivated to do stuff like I need to do, let alone like I'm gonna wake up today and write like a fake breakup letter for a band <laughs> and get a put like it seems like so much work. like where's the payoff, I feel like. Well you can say it's under wraps, but like can we look forward to something in the in the far to near future? Oh yeah, of course. Okay, fair enough. But that's it. Okay. Because <laughs> I saw. Did you read the read the Roseland show? The Roseland show. Or Crash Love. Um, I don't know. You might have been. There. I was. I there. feel like I've, I know you were there. I feel I like I've seen you guys so many times that it's all kind of like feels like one. That's how I feel. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I, had gra- I had a great experience the first time I heard of you because I, uh, you know, you know, like bands fall through the cracks. You know, as as you grow up, like like you know, all of a sudden people, there's a band with a huge following and you hear about them. And, uh, I was working at Fuse and we were playing AFI videos and I'm like, these guys are great. How did I not hear this band? And then looking back, I was like, Oh, I know total immortal. I know these songs. Okay, crap. I just didn't associate it. Um, and so Fuse did an episode where it was, uh, everyone decided to dress up like the metal girl, Julia. So they spiked my hair out and (laughs) AFI was playing that night and it was AFI and, explosion and strike anywhere i think okay yeah, yeah. it's great so it was like awesome okay if these are their opening bands who i love this is going to be a great show so i went with a sweater on but i still left my hair all spiked out to hell <laughs> and i left all the makeup on and people were taking pictures of me at irving plaza <laughs> the best part was the hip-hop guy who was working at fuse dennis Domenis, um dennis white uh he wore like a giant he wore like White pants, white shoes, and a big white puffy fur-lined winter coat. So he's walking around <laughs> with me at the AFI show, and then you guys came out, and I was just uh, mesmerized. It's amazing. That actually reminds me. Didn't No Effects dress up as you guys at one point? Yes, we did. Uh, we did a, uh, a sort of a wardrobe swap for one of the Warp Tour shows. We'd like planned it out for a while, and. Um, I think it was probably Mike's idea. <laughs> I think mostly he just wanted to wear like all his hot topic gear. Right. Um and so whatever he never gets a chance to on a daily basis. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Well, you know, he's got fans and they expect a certain thing. They expect the Hawaiian shirts. That was that was the whole thing, you know. So Mike, you're wearing sleeves? <laughs> um so so we showed up wearing the full Hawaiian gear and uh and and they were it was it was a uh, it was me first in the gimme gimmies okay and they you know had on their their fishnets and like the makeup and like black wigs and it was good you, so you guys came out dressed as me first in the gimme gimmies it was yeah that's amazing we wore just we wore their Hawaiian shirts I think I still have one too um, you know and that was it pretty much it was it was more like they wanted to dress up in a certain style <laughs> and then we did a little you know just a just a show that we're good sports you know. <laughs> And it was, but it was for you know, like uh, I don't know, maybe like in, maybe New Jersey. It was a Warp Tour show that year. Mm-hmm. Now, how'd you get hooked up with uh, Tegan and Sarah? Uh, I I met Tegan. I actually uh, I was a fan of their music, and it um, I I discovered their band at a time where I was having a lot of trouble writing music, and I was just like, 
I guess I was probably overthinking everything, and I, I heard one of their songs, and I was like, this is so, like, pure and simple and just, like, so great. It's This is, like, music just refined down to something so, like, like poppy but simple and, like, you know, it, like, I just, I loved it. And so I just sent an email to their, at the time, like, on their website, you could actually write to them. I mean, it was, like... Sort of disguise like write to the, you know correspondence to our label that's us you know kind mm-hmm. of a thing. But so I just wrote a letter like, hey, I'm a huge fan. I just want to say like your music is, is really inspiring me right now. It's at a time where I'm like had almost lost faith in music and whatever. And uh, like a couple of days later, Tegan wrote back to me. She's like, like what? You're an AFI? Like I love you guys. Like and so we became friends and and then uh, just through hanging out um with them for you know for a while they uh Tien asked me if I'd play bass on on one of their albums played on the the con on the con right? yeah such a great record and so i was like yes of course like you know that would be an honor and and uh it was cool because one of you know one of my friends Matt Sharp who who was like the you know original Weezer bassist mm-hmm. played bass on Sarah's song so so it was kind of an honor to be I think of him as the guy in the him. rentals, to be honest with you. The rentals, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but, I, you know, I'm going way back. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah and then, uh, I don't know, just remain friends. Do you, do, you, do you always hang out with just bass players? Is that how it works? I do. I, I, was, <laughs> I was looking through uh, through my phone and just looking at the people that I, like, mentally, like, going through the people that I'm friends with that are musicians and noting, like, most of these people are either bass players or drummers. <laughs> and it's, maybe that maybe there is something to that, like a sort of a rhythm section camaraderie, or, I don't know. Did you get, did you tour with Tegan and Sarah? Did you play shows with them? Uh, no. Why did I, I just define touring? <laughs> I do that all the time when hey, I talk. Hunter, so touring is when well, you play live. Thing. I have played <laughs> shows with them, but not as a bass player. Ah. As a percussionist. And not on more than a song or two. And not in a touring capacity, just one off. So, I played shows with them, but not toured. You played cowbell locally with them, <laughs> locally. <laughs> no, just, just shaker. I feel I, I played tambourine. I think I may have played keyboard on one song, on one show, but mostly shakers. That's my thing. Gotcha. Conan, I, you know, played shakers. We played it. Uh, I don't know. Shakers, little egg things. Uh, those can be shakers, but yeah, yeah I played uh, these like kind of uh, cylindrical canisters. Ah, uh, yes. You know, I've be- I've come I've become like somewhat of a of a shaker connoisseur since then. Really, I now have a collection of like a dozen or more shakers of different styles and different varieties. I had a hilarious shaker joke a couple of weeks ago. I was in the studio <laughs> and someone had a, it's already ed- funny. <laughs> <laughs> the end. <laughs> someone had an egg shaker with like a chicken on it. That was just like in the control room, and I was like, I posted this photo of it. I was like, sometimes if you can't do well in the studio, you should play to a cluck track. Uh, <laughs> do you have like a the, like a sting sound effect? Like, <laughs> oh, like no response, like nothing. And I said it in the studio, and everyone's like, I'm like cluck track. <laughs> I thought it was gonna be a chicken. Look, the chicken is the egg joke. So. Can I make a chicken joke, please? Okay. Yes. <laughs> True story. I'm, <laughs> I, I'm in Hawaii, and I'm I'm driving rental car through a sort of rural area, and um, and I'm 
behind a car. I'm, I'm driving, yeah, I'm probably like 45 miles per hour driving behind the only car on this road. It's just me and this other car, and I'm right behind that car. And in the distance, I see a chicken approach the road just and waiting there at the side. And the chicken decides to jump out between the two cars. Like, this chicken has all the time in the world. <laughs> it could have just waited for both of us to pass, and it, would be, it could do anything it wanted. But it decides, that it decides to go between the two cars. And so as it's crossing, I'm like, why did the chicken cross the road? (laughs) 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 Oh, that's genius. (laughs) Are you you vegan too? I am. Okay, how long? Uh, Over 11 years now. Right on. Yeah. You're a healthy looking vegan. It just keeps That's going, good. you know. Is the, whole, is the whole band vegan? <laughs> no, uh, half the band. Half the band. Okay. Half the band. You know, not bad, right? No, you know. <laughs> it's not Fugazi, it's okay. <laughs> um, I've, Jonah was a vegetarian and I've tried it, but I, don't, I just don't eat meat that much anyway. It's just not in my wheelhouse. But I have kids now and, you know, feeding them stuff. And, you know, we're now feeding them, you know, this like turkey and sweet potatoes that's, you know, pureed. And every time I feed it to him, I'm just like, no, what are you, crazy? Don't. Yeah. No, I don't take – even the stuff that I know is good, I'm like, squash, I can handle that. You know, the fruit I'm fine with. But in my head, I'm like, what am I doing? Am I like starting these kids off on a horrible path? But then I was listening to um, a Mark Maron podcast on the way here where he's interviewing Weird Al Yankovic. And he went – he's a vegetarian. He went, no, I didn't impose how I looked at it on my kids. Or a kid. He has one kid. He's like, you know, if she figures it out, she can go that way. You know, yeah, it's a weird concept. It's a weird, it was a weird like morality thing. So I had this conversation with Davey that I, I'm not an animal rights person at all. I'm an animal welfare person, but like I believe treat humanely, you know, free range, however, or, or um, you know, a, a respectful slaughterhouse. If you want to go the whole Temple Grandin route, you know, um, but uh, it's just a very it's there's compelling arguments for both sides, but it's so hard to. You know, I'm literally looking at this jar. Whenever I feed it to him, I'm looking at it and I'm like, am I just like feeding them just horror? Like I don't I don't know quite. Know it's weird I'm... because it's like like you said, it's um the idea is, you know, when when your kid reaches an age where they can make that decision for themselves, then like well fine, whatever. But until then you're making the decision for them and it's you know it's a little bit weird, right? Mm-hmm. Because do you make the decision based on like your what you believe for yourself, or you know, I don't know. It's I feel like it's the same thing with religion. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. It's, um, I'm that way. That yeah, that 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 all that petrifies me. Yeah, that I guess mom, you haven't hit that yet. I don't even want to. It's <laughs> just scares <laughs> scares the living crap out of me because I'm just going ah, whatever. But yeah, but it's it was very it's a very similar. If it, if it helps similar, you at yes. all. Um, I grew up with like free range chickens, and they're bastards. I have, aren't I have there? more you respect for vegetables. Yeah, you couldn't really do enough bad things to a chicken, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> they already do it to each other. <laughs> they're really they're terrible animals. <laughs> <laughs> Did you grow up in a chicken coop? I grew up in a chicken coop. Actually, <laughs> I was allowed out during the day. <laughs> I understand why you're so bitter against chickens. <laughs> you can just. <laughs> Ugh, that's hilarious. Uh, they they ruin. They're bad to each other. It's okay. <laughs> that 
But I know I, for me, it was more of a health thing. I know that when I eat um, like vegan or vegetarian food solely for a while, my allergies aren't as bad. Yeah. yeah. You know, it just wor- it works out well. So I've been juicing. I got a juicer. Uh, and it's awesome. I'll make like four carrots and four stalks of celery and just drink that for breakfast. And then, and I had a juicer too. You know why I got rid of it? Why is that? It's the worst thing about a juicer. Cleaning up? Clean after? the fucking Yeah, thing. I got an yeah, easy to clean one. So you got to get a good one. I got a good one. You get an Omega? I got a Brenville. Oh. Or Brenville. I'd like to thank our Breville. sponsors, Omega have tried, and uh, Brenville. Have you tried cabbage yet? I haven't. Cabbage. It's pretty exciting. <laughs> yeah? You sure you have some time? <laughs> I work from home. I got plenty of time. So yeah, you should try some obscure stuff. You know, yeah, like potatoes. Potatoes could be good. I got like a cookbook thing, but you can put, do beets. Beets are fantastic. Yeah, I mean, they taste so kale. Good. You're not vegetarian. Do oysters? <laughs> can you juice an oyster? What about a banana? Why not? Can you juice a banana? You can do a banana. I think I was going to try to do an avocado. I don't think you can do that. Don't though. mix fruits and vegetables. You know That's that. what I heard. Yeah. Why is that? Because your body digests it differently. No, creates or, kind of an acid you can mix uh it's lemon, a religious thing lemon and apple are the only two fruits that you can mix with vegetable juice lemon and apple mm. okay yeah because you can put apple cider vinegar in everything at least i do <laughs> right <laughs> is it a full-on is it is it uh do you take it all the way to clothing and stuff as vegan or yes see yeah that was my other thing is go all the way or forget it that was which my is, whole which is tough like um because a lot of clothing options are just there there isn't a vegan option mm-hmm. and i uh, before i before i flew out here i had set my alarm for 5am and i probably went to bed at midnight so i was only going to get 5 hours of sleep and my body naturally was like oh no you're going to wake up at 4:30am with an obsession to 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 Google vegan hats, <laughs> so I wasn't even totally awake. wasn't even awake. I was like, oh, I gotta Google vegan hats. Like, with my phone, like my eyes aren't even open yet, and I'm like, vegan hats. I gotta find a place where I can buy vegan hats. <laughs> Later in the day, I I realized like, what was I doing googling vegan hats? But but it's there aren't that many places, you know. No. It's, you can find a lot of Etsy stores, and you can get like knit hats. I don't want that. I don't want to, you know, some sort of like. I don't know. <laughs> no, you don't. I wanted like right. a classic looking hat, you know, but it's most of them are just like, you know, animal hair or something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so no wool, no wool. No wool. Where do you do you where do you stand on honey? Um, I was I was a little bit like I don't know where to go on honey for a while, and then uh, like maybe I don't know some number of years ago, I was like what. Is it so hard? Can I just like rule out honey? <laughs> I've ruled out so many things. Yeah, so, honey is basically puke. I think it's okay, and I don't want to eat puke. Is that, that's my thing, you know. Yeah, that's, but it's delicious puke. <laughs> I've also tried to rule out as much sugar as I can. That's smart. So, mm-hmm. you know, honey falls into that. Great well, I know category. like a lot of like hardcore vegans. I know sometimes sugar is refined with animal bones or something. Or I so I've heard. I'm not yeah. like an what? expert. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's the the food industry. I mean, fast food nation. Really, that that yeah. that's it's it's upsetting how much if you are vegan or if you have, you know, uh, you know, a religion that you don't know. It's like it's like why do it was the big thing in the book was French fries. A lot of them in McDonald's were cooked in beef tallow. Yeah, and then they were saying that it was vegetarian. Yeah, it's so, not nice. Yeah, it's you know, and that's why. You know, my whole thing is 
is although I feel like it, what I you know my dietary thing is is fairly strict. I I realize that like some of the stuff I don't really know, and it's it'd be impossible to be one hundred percent strictly vegan in every aspect of a person's life because it's it gets down to the point where you're like, well, um, you know, do I support a company that also makes non-vegan products, you know? Um, and that's, I think it would be impossible to get 100% away from it, you know, if I'm going to uh, drive my car, you know, every, every, you know, especially in this, like, this world where every corporation is owned by somebody. It's like, it's impossible. But so, I, you know, my whole thing is just do the best that I can. Yeah. So... <laughs> You know, the whole time we're talking to Hunter, he mentioned nothing about the American Film Institute, and I'm completely and utterly confused. I want to talk about the top 100 films, which is always Citizen Kane, Jaws, and for some reason, Empire Strikes Back isn't at the top of the list. Bullshit. It's total bullshit, right? (laughs) Should be Empire Strikes Back, Jaws, Blues Brothers. That should be the top (laughs) of every damn list of films. Or Pee-wee's Big Adventure. That's a good one, too. Caddyshack, Shack, dude. Yeah, see? Or Hard to Kill. <laughs> My list, I feel like, would be so... People would be like, Who, what is wrong with this person? Hard to Kill. It'd be like all like 90s action movies. Battle Royale. Which yeah. is the one where Seagal is the Italian dude. Comes <laughs> you in, love the one, the Above bar. the Law. It's above the Law is my favorite. Nico! Hey, come on! Hey, Nico. Goomba! Oh! <laughs> you wanna know who did Bobby Lupo? Oh. You know, come on. Hey, Bobby, come on. Don't bust my balls. <laughs> it's my favorite. He takes the pool ball and just he t- puts it in a sock when and we, destroys when, an entire when we, bar. When we worked at Fuse, I feel like me and Mike watched the fight scene in that <laughs> from that movie like every day. And it's like 10 minutes long and he keeps pushing that guy in the phone booth. <laughs> One guy can't get out of the phone booth. He always just pushes him back. Everyone's in. getting beat up, and this dude's oh, just getting thrown. Oh, it's so good. He goes, I don't need my badge and my gun. And the guy was like, Oh, well, tough with a badge. And Sagal puts his gun down and takes his badge off, and he just beats the entire bar down. Even the bartender? He's like, Are You a boxer? He's like, Yeah, I box. That's who you got. And he knocks out this like 70 year old guy. <laughs> the best it is the best everyone should check it out above the law bar, <laughs> bar scene bar scene on, on youtube, YouTube. And if you have any italian relatives by the way too it's like he uses every like it's like they just pulled out the like goomba dictionary yeah. and he's like what other words I can i say ask mike i was like what even are these words like i yeah. never even have heard them yeah like, he pulls out like jadrool hey this guy's a fucking jadrool it's like wow hold on let me let me ask my mom what that is <laughs> my mother's from italy if you enjoyed what you have heard please give us a favorable review on itunes it would be a nice thing for you to do how about a like on facebook going off track go to our website and leave us a comment we know that the comment section of most websites is basically an open invitation for people to be douches which for us is kind of fine because we like to read things like that we find them funny uh, but if you dig us, we would love to hear from you. Uh, shoot us a comment. We will respond. And uh, next week on Going Off Track, who knows if we'll talk about Steven Seagal. We probably will. We probably will. Probably. Probably. <laughs>